Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the Lean Zone podcast. Today, we're joined by my fellow uh, name brother, Alex Tapazo from Tapazo Insurance. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing well, Alex. Thank you for having me here. There's going to be a lot of uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex, going on, I think. <laughs> so today's topic is very interesting, probably something that no one thinks about until there's a problem, and that is all of the insurance that needs to be in place or should be in place from the moment a product or piece of equipment is manufactured through and including the time it gets installed on a construction site. And um, Alex is a an insurance expert. So before we get into it, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and your firm. Um, so we're a, a, an insurance agency in South Florida and Kendall to be specific. Um, we've, uh, this is our 25th year in business. Um, thank God. And, and, uh, we're, you know, have been insuring small businesses for most of that time. So my family's history is actually in a completely different field, uh, that, uh, due to, you know, life went, uh, South and, uh, someone had told my dad he'd make a great insurance agent, never having worked for anybody else. He decided to do the smart thing and open his own agency. Uh, and, um, and and a little bit after that, being a good Cuban son, he needed free labor, and asked me if I wanted to, you know, join. And, and well, been you say asked, asked, but <laughs> it wasn't really a request, right? It no. was... Well, it depends on which one of us you ask. We we have very different versions of that story. Uh, so, but but yeah, you know, I I fell in love with the industry almost being in it from the get-go. Uh, and because he had always been a small business owner, he helped me learn to understand small businesses. And that's that's primarily where we focus, is helping small businesses understand how to use insurance to thrive. So let's get right into it. Um, now we're gonna we're gonna walk through uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a uh, for the for the purpose of our discussion um, a generator. Okay, but this could be any piece of equipment, right? It could be glass uh, from a glass a window manufacturer. It could be trusses from uh, a truss manufacturer. Any piece of equipment or material as it is being produced through and including the time of uh, install. So, so let's start from the beginning, right? I pick up the phone. I place an order for my generator. Um, what are some of the things I should be worried about when I place that order to make sure that if something were to happen for it to arrive before it arrives, that I'm not out of pocket? So, I mean, it really ends up depending, um, basically on basic two things, right? A, who owns the generator at the time, right? And where the generator is. And, and again, generator should be the X for any kind of construction material. Um, and, and a lot of times, normally you actually make up that call and the owner of that product is actually the manufacturer until they deliver. Now, right. the more specific the piece, you know, to the job that you're doing, the, the more it might actually end up being your responsibility from the moment it leaves the manufacturer. So it really all depends on. Uh, what it is that you've asked, you know, the, what it, what this piece of equipment is or what this material is. Think, you know, of something that could uh, maybe a commissioned piece of art for the outside of a, of a large, uh, you know, commercial 
park or um, apartment building or something of that nature, right? That would be different than, say, your standard generator or maybe an air conditioning unit um, that you ordered and and is coming your way. Um, it, It also might be different depending on how you choose to ship that, right? So, it, it could be that the manufacturer says, hey, this is how much it costs to get it from point A to point B. And you're like, hey, I have a you know a buddy who owns a truck. He can get it from point A to point B a lot cheaper than that. So why don't you just sell me the product and my buddy will pick it up? Um, you know, we, we see a lot of times that I agree with you, the more specific um, and custom the piece of equipment or material is, the more likely it is that you're going to own it the moment it leaves the manufacturer's threshold of their business. Um, so that the risk of loss is going to transfer to you. So let, let's take the example of my example of a custom-made generator, and you're going to own that risk the moment it lands on the truck as it gets loaded from the manufacturer and put on the truck as it's getting shipped to you. What, what insurance should I make sure that I have or get so that if something were to happen on its way to me that I... Uh, before it gets to the project, I'm covered. So there's there's actually a couple that come into play at, at, at different times. The the from the moment that it's getting picked up, right? The, the the insurance policy is a cargo insurance policy. This is the same kind of insurance you buy for anything that gets shipped under almost any circumstances, whether it's going from Massachusetts to Florida or from Shanghai to London. Um, and so a, a cargo policy can encompass air, it can encompass water, it can encompass land. Um, it, for, for the average, you know, contractor, you'd be buying a motor truck cargo policy. Um, if it's your own truck, that's making the delivery. Um, or if it's, you know, you're having a, a third party service, do it. You could buy a policy just for that one delivery to ensure that from point A to point B, um, that there is coverage in case there was a vehicle accident, uh, and, and that got knocked over. Now, really important um, to understand with motor truck cargo policies is that there's some what I call throw-in coverages for what happens because, as a result of the loss. So the loss itself is for the physical damage to the equipment, right? Uh, but there are intangible losses, lost time, uh, because you know you weren't able to commit on time and maybe that contractual it creates a problem for you for a bond or something of that nature. Um, having to re um, uh, wait until that piece of equipment gets remade again, lost time, but you're now ordering it and it might have a higher cost today. Say for instance, you ordered it a year ago, it's being transferred today. Now you're having to reorder it. As you all know, with inflation, the cost for that might be 30, 40% higher than it was when you originally ordered the piece. Um, and and so the, the cargo policy would may have some Thing there to help with that, but you must keep in mind that really insurance doesn't uh, cover that lost time or that additional cost. Uh, it so fully. if I paid fifty thousand dollars for this piece of equipment, and something were to happen and it got totaled, the most I would likely be able to get is fifty thousand minus my deductible, not the eighty thousand that it's going to cost me to remanufacture. That is correct. That is pretty, you know, most commonly that is what is going to occur. Uh, and, and so keeping that in mind is an important part of, of the process and important, it should be an important part of how you make the decision of how that gets to you. Right? So because now, if you now, use a third party service, there might be options 
because of negligence or something of that nature. The, to right, right. So, but I guess that goes. So, if I'm if I'm routinely buying and delivering in uh, generators on my own equipment, I guess I would have this policy. But let's say I do this, I don't know, once, maybe twice a year. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna have my own truck. I'm gonna hire a, a, a company that's going to carry it. I'm gonna hire another company that's gonna probably uh, load and unload it. Um, are there policies that I can get or do I just wanna be named as an additional insured on other people's policies in case something happens? Additional insureds are a fun but difficult thing to, to kind of get people across. It, it's probably get your own policy and be named additional insured. You see, additional insured does not guarantee coverage. It right. only states that under certain set of circumstances, you might have a vicarious situation where you would find coverage under somebody else's policy. But uh, there are plenty of times where that gets thrown out the door for a million reasons. So having your own coverage is really the best defense against so it. So is there a policy that I would get um, if if occasionally I'm shipping? You uh, can buy it one off. You can buy just for the one shipment, even if it's not your truck. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. You can buy it off for, for just that one shipment, even if it's not your truck. I mean, usually you're only doing that when it's, you know, a high value item. Sure, of course. Uh, and, and you're concerned about, you know, what that means for you. But, um, you know, it, it, let's go to the point now, let's say it gets delivered, but you're not installing it. Right. Okay, so so now you it's delivered and it's not being installed and there's a hurricane coming. So you don't want to leave it on the site. Uh, the question is, what is it's been delivered? So the cargo policy is now over. Right. You now right. have this uh, maybe at a, a local warehouse that you rent um, and or own. And so the question is, you know, again, who owns it? Right. So now you bought this this piece of equipment or material. Um, did you buy it yourself or did it, was it bought by, with the developer's dollars? Right. And, and if it's yours, um, you know, do you have a commercial property insurance policy to provide coverage for the contents at your warehouse? Right. Um, because while it's sitting there static, you could find coverage under the commercial property policy, assuming you have enough coverage. Okay. Um, with materials, it can sometimes be a little bit difficult because there's, there's an ebb and flow. And commercial right. property policies really don't like that. They they really prefer a static kind of even uh, amount. So you know when people ask, I always say you really should provide cover. You know, buy coverage for the maximum amount of limit you'll have at that location at any given time. Um, now, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing people tell you, um, Alex, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, I have my general liability policy. Doesn't that cover everything? Oh. Oh, how often do I hear? In fact, I heard it yesterday, Alec. <laughs> Just yesterday, I had this conversation with someone. Uh, liability policy is is for for things that happen to other people that you cause. It has nothing to do with anything that you own, you have control of. That one's really important right there. And I'll go back to that in a second. Um, it, it, or um, that has anything to do with your business, your volunteers, your employees, or this, that, or the other. There are separate coverages that exist for those things. But liability, I mean, the, the definition of liability is the bodily injury or property damage caused by the operations of a business. Um, notice that it, that's property damage is to third parties. It's not to you. Right. Or it's your to other shield. property. Correct. Right. General liability doesn't cover 
anything but that specific set of circumstances. Um, and, and it's, and it's the most common thing. The most common claim people have, um, is liability claims. Uh, property is second to, to, to that very situation in Florida. Honestly, though, it's a little bit more complex because of, uh, you know, hurricanes and, and situations like that that we deal with. Um, but at the end of the day, it's important to understand that your liability policy is only intended to offer that. Now, to go back real quick to care, custody, and control, right? Uh, we mm-hmm. call those the three C's in insurance. Um, uh, and and what that means is, is that it, they're going to treat, your liability policy will treat any property that you are using and acting as if it were your own, as if it were your own, which means it automatically loses coverage. So if you have care, custody, and control of your client's generator and it gets damaged while it's in your possession, your general liability policy will not provide coverage even though it was uh, somebody else's property and you, you did cause property damage to it. For so, that, so, so what coverage do I need? Well, so for that, there's, there is a, a specific policy that's a, an inland marine policy. Inland marine are things like builder's risk. It's a type of policy that covers equipment that you use, you know, on the site, like, you know, cranes and, you know, backhoes and front loaders and all that jazz. Right. Uh, so there- so I, I'm going to pause there for a minute because inland marine is, is, a, is a policy that a lot of people should have that they probably don't in the sense that when I rent a piece of equipment, um, and I'm using it at a job site, if something happens to that piece of equipment, it it's not covered by my GL, but I need that inland marine policy to cover it, right? Correct. Well, it's not covered by your GL and it's not covered by your property because you don't own it. Right. So it, the inland marine policy is the one, and, 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 and just to give you an example of the breadth of inland marine, technically a cargo policy that we discussed earlier is also an inland marine policy. Um, and, and what these policies can do, they can do a lot of things. And, and one in particular that doesn't often get purchased is called an installation floater. And, uh, okay, an, what is that? so an installation floater, uh, is a policy for when you are installing, uh, someone else's equipment in case it's in your care, custody and control and you drop it. Hmm. Uh, so, so you have, let's say that customer's, uh, uh generator, and you're in the process of unloading it off of your truck after bringing it from the warehouse. Uh, and, you know, one of your guys accidentally messes with it and, it, you know, it falls off, uh, you know, the crane while it's being unloaded. The, the installation floater covers it between that, that time that you take possession of it until you install it um, for that third party. And, um, and, and again, not, not a lot of folks tend to buy it uh, unless it's a very large piece of equipment. Usually, but, but does that mean that they're uncovered for that instance? Yes, it means okay. that there will be they could be responsible uh, at the time of a of a claim, and their insurance policy, your general liability insurance policy, or their auto liability insurance policy. Because sometimes people are like, "Well, I was taking it off the truck; the auto policy should cover it." Um, that's just not correct. Um, the, so you the auto- say, you, you wait a second, hold on, Alex. So <laughs> you say you say a big piece of equipment, but if I'm just a AC installer, right? Um, I, I don't have a big piece of equipment and maybe I'm doing a $10,000 AC swap, right? So a fair amount of that total cost of my job is the piece of equipment and it drops and it is damaged to the point of significant um, cost. If I don't have coverage 
uh, special coverage because it's not under my GL and not under my auto, I'm kind of doing this job for free now. Well, you're, you're not just doing it for free. You're paying them to do the job. Um, so, so I need a, you said an installation floater. An installation floater. Yeah. And then, and, and, and again, I, the reason most of the time it's partnerships with large installations is because it's an expensive coverage. So the, the smaller installations, um, it, it, it the math doesn't necessarily work out where the customer usually wants to purchase it. Is there like a, a rider of some sort I can get on my GL or my auto to cover that little window that's, no. that's reasonably priced? No, that's a risk mm -hmm. that I just have to price into In, the job. Right. It's so cost of doing business. So I, I, I often, you know, when I'm talking to my customers, I go, there, there's, in, there's stuff you can insure and then there's a cost of doing business. Um, and, and the, the educational part from the risk management perspective is understanding what is where and how you can mitigate in those situations as best as you can. Right. So, you know, who, who is responsible for those things? What, what are you doing? You know, are you, do you have your best guy doing the unloading or, you know, are you, are you just hired a, a few temps that you've never met before and they're the ones that are doing that work for you? Um, you know, it, because at the end of the day, if you don't have insurance, it's, you're just going to have to pay it out of pocket. Right. So, you know, your your proposal of getting the right people to do the job, depending on the job, is a component of risk mitigation. But at the same time, I could say, you know, uh, I can look back and I can say every 100 ACs that we unload, we end up damaging one. Um, and the average cost is $10,000, $10,000 divided by 100. I need to add that cost in as effectively my own self-insurance uh to cover the fact that one out of a hundred i'm gonna i'm gonna break right a hundred percent i mean that's exactly part of the process think of it i use the example of food costs at a, at a restaurant when, when we know when i'm discussing that right it's right. like yeah you, you you know that there's going to be a certain amount of things dropped right so a certain amount of food loss yeah that's going waste, to waste you're never going to use you're going to buy 20 heads of lettuce and you're going to only use seven so the same way that that restaurant builds the cost of that lost and that waste into their into their you know their costs of doing business is that you would have to do the same to make sure that you know you don't find yourself in a position where uh, cash flow is is so adversely affected uh, that do you, you see, can't keep going. Do you see your construction clients doing that with any level of sophistication? Maybe too strong of a word, but how about uh, um, thought? In it or no, they're just kind of guessing. Well, a lot of it, a lot of them is guess, um, and 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 the reality is, is because people will, especially smaller contractors, have that pressure of, um, you know, I need to be the, the least expensive, right? Because there's no way I could possibly compete if uh, if I'm not, you know, the the lowest on the on the on the particular project. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it, I would say it's it's kind of a you know it's a curve. Right. Uh, you know, I have folks who probably are uber conservative and, and are, have done a very good job or have maybe had the bad experience. So now they 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 do, you know, a better job of building that in. Uh, and then, I, you know, you have the others who shoot from the hip no matter what. And and and, you know, there's something to be said to take a loss on a job if, you know, you feel that job is really going to be that opportunity to get your foot in the door and get more work. Um, but at the same time you know, that has to be a reasonable amount for your business to continue to go forward. And you can only do it a certain set of times. So, so, so what other insurance 
that we haven't talked about that you think are things that are uh, frequently overlooked from the time the product is manufactured to the time it's installed? Well, the, one of the probably most frequently overlooked is the builder's risk. Um, right. I, I can't talk about how many construction you know jobs I get called for once it's done and they never had a conversation about, you know, actually ensuring it during the course of construction. Um, and, and right now I'll, I'll, I'll concentrate on the property, but I mean, the liability is an even bigger problem there. Um, but, but the, you know, you can buy a policy for builder's risk that provides coverage for your materials, uh, you know, on-site, off-site, you know, the, the off-site is obviously limited compared to the on-site, uh, but, you know, also has a few tailored coverages in there that are meant for something that isn't quite finished, right? Um, and and having purchased that policy, if, if there's any uh, uh, claims that I've seen in, in, uh, in the work that we do where people have been happiest after a loss, it's almost always a builder's risk. So, so let's run through some examples of builder's risk uh, situations and at the same time explain who can get the policy because I don't know that it's so readily available to someone further down on the food chain. So, so let's take an example, right? So as I understand it, builder's risk is going to cover damage of a partially completed structure due to a hurricane, fire, vandalism, flooding, correct? Well, flooding depends. Flooding is 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 a yes and no. Some yes, some no. Most when I say flooding, I mean that. I mean like uh, you know the plumber. Uh, oh, water damage, right? So in in, in right. for insurance purposes, the word flood has actually got a federal definition. It's water that rises from the ground up and right. damages two properties or inundates an acre. Um, and and that so when you when you say that to an insurance agent, that's where our head goes. But uh, but if you mean like yeah like a pipe that burst and ended up right. damage you know inundating a location specifically we we usually call that water damage, um, theft so also being one of those possible causes of loss. So so that's what's gonna uh, get covered by a builder's risk policy. But if I'm the electrician on a project, you know, let's say my contract is a million dollars on a ten million dollar project as the electrician, if the owner decides not to get builder's risk is there's not much that I can do, right? Um, if the owner decides not to get builder's risk, there isn't much that you can do. But generally the contract, so the builder's risk is usually purchased by either the GC or the owner. Right. Okay. And and again, this goes back to mitigating and making decisions about what jobs you want to take and what jobs you don't want to take, right? Um, because some look very appetizing, but have very nasty tails, um, that you don't realize. And, and, and at the end of the day, one of the things I often tell my, my contractors when they're, uh, trying to get jobs out there, I'm like, please don't sign anything before you call me. Okay. And the reason I don't want you to sign anything before you call me is because chances are there may be insurance requirements. And oh, those guaranteed. insurance, yeah. there's going to be a, like, I actually, I was looking at a contract yesterday, the insurance requirements on this 50 page contract were two pages of just detailed specifics on insurance requirements. And and so then the question is, is do you have that? And then oh, my client has no idea. And and my advice is you better talk to your agent. Well, and then so then the question is how much more is it going to cost you to get the coverages that they're being told in those two page detailed documents? Right. And did you build that into your bid price? 
And because at the end of the day, any money you spent that you didn't intend on spending, taking it from taking away the, the, the risk management perspective, but just from a pure business perspective, if you're spending extra money to get this job, you have to build it into your price or you're losing money. And, and the cost is almost always more significant than the, than the contractor expects. Um, yeah. Only because a lot of times, especially, uh, you know, the, the mid-tier to lower contractors, there is this, you know, overwhelming push to try to kind of move all of the risk down to them, which, I, which from my personal perspective, is completely unfair. Uh, oh, literally, you're, the largest amount of risk is on the, the people with the least amount of funds. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, if you're not aware of what that means or how that works, are you going to be responsible to repair, you know, to replace all that copper in case of a fire, you know, talking about that electrician, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, yeah, most, most contracts, by the way, the answer is not just yes, but unequivocally yes, that you may think that your GL is going to cover it, but it's probably not, um, and well, there, there, there can be situations, right? So one of the funny things about insurance agents is, is that you, we can, we sell a product that if you call us during a claim, we have to tell you, you have to talk to the adjuster, which is extremely frustrating. But the reason that that exists, the reason that happens is because it really matters the specifics, right? Okay. For, so for instance, if you've laid $9 million of that $10 million worth of copper, now we're using ridiculous numbers here, but let's just go with it, Right. That that copper is no longer yours. So if it gets damaged, it's not you damaging your, their property and your custody, care, custody, control. You may actually have coverage under the GL if it was your fault that that right. thing happened. Right. right. If you, as the electrician, caused the fire. Correct. Uh, versus the roofer who causes the fire or vandalism is another one. I had a while ago uh, a builder's risk claim. And you're right. The client was exceedingly happy with me. Not that I did a lot, but we submitted a builder's risk claim for a plumber who had all of the copper pipe in a building stolen over the course of a weekend. Uh, uh, back then, I think it was probably $100,000 worth of copper pipe was stolen. Um, we submitted a builder's risk claim and they wrote a check. It's, it, it's, it happens way more often um, than, it, than, you, you, than it should. It's funny, I... Folks are always worried about hurricanes in Florida, and I always warn them that a fire happens every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hurricanes only happen during a season. Um, right. it, it, that kind of theft is extremely common. It 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 does make you know you do have to be careful, right? So every builder's risks there is no uh, standard form. Okay, I would argue really there's no such thing as standard insurance, but but the the reality is is that most general liability policies start with a basic form. Okay. And then it gets endorsed from there. It gets changed after that. Uh, but that basic part, you kind of have a kind of a, a, a foothold as to what, well, what's the idea here? Biz, uh, builders risk policies, not at all. Okay. Uh, and so they're, they can be wildly different from one to another. So, so you've if got I'm a, a subcontractor on a job mm-hmm. and I find out, oh, great. The owner has builders risk. Like, is that, should that be the end of my analysis or should I ask for a copy of the policy? If you ask for a copy of the policy, they're probably going to tell you to take a hike. Actually, um, you know, it's funny you should say that. I remember on one project we did that and they did tell me to take a hike. Yeah. Well, it's because nobody likes to, you know, insurance agents will tell people do not show copies of your policies to people who aren't, you aren't required to. Right. Um, only from the perspective of, 
you know, a lot of times when people ask for a copy of a policy, it's because a lawsuit was coming. I, I think uh, uh, the other day I got a request for a certificate of insurance that actually asked that I sign and I put my E&O, my errors and omissions policy, my professional liability policy <laughs> as an insurance agent on that. Like, so I would have to sign it saying that, yes, all of these things are true. Oh, and by the way, this is my errors and omissions policy. I politely told that contractor, I apologize. I will gladly give you anything you need, but I am not signing that piece of paper. Right, right. It kind of feels like a setup, right? Yeah, yeah. So asking now, the, it, that ended up going into the conversation of, again, doing making sure that the people you're doing business with are people that, you know, you, you have a certain modicum of level of trust when you're putting out these large kinds of dollars on a job, right? You, it's true you, you can't be 100% sure. There's no really way of doing that. But if you're going to have a large, uh, uh, you know, uh, cash flow output from your business into this project, you, I think, have a much more opportunity to say, hey, can I talk to your risk manager? Can I talk to your insurance agent? To see what I'm, what I may or may not be liable for after this, I'm putting X number of dollars of my own money in here, and I need to be sure that you know I'm not going to lose it because you know the, the building burnt down and you didn't have insurance. You know, the takeaway from this conversation is you probably should be talking to your insurance agent more than you're talking to your insurance agent now um, about what, where are their gaps in your coverages. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I see that our most successful clients do is they are regularly meeting uh, in construction. They are regularly meeting with their construction attorney, their construction accountant, their construction CPA, and if they're bonded, their construction surety. And several times a year, they're going out to lunch, they're having a cup of coffee, they're having these folks come to their office to talk about what's going on in the market. Um, they're keeping their trusted professionals in the loop in their business. Do you see the same thing? It, well, you know, it, you have some that are the most successful. Yes, this is exactly what they do. And, and, and because it's, it's not just only a question of I guarantee that those kinds of relationships will generate lower premiums or lower costs for certain things because the more that 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 they're aware, the more likely they are to find that thing that they could use to leverage costs, right? right. Uh, right. You know, insurance is an interesting business. I am I'm I'm selling, um, trying to you know educate a customer about what a product is while at the same time trying to make that customer look favorable to a, an underwriter. So it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of like selling on both sides. And mm -hmm. the more I have on either side of that equation, the better job I can do on finding the coverages, either broader coverages or lower costs, depending on what my customer is looking for. And, and, and you wouldn't, I mean, it's so common to just have a regular checkup call with a customer and all of a sudden they say something like, oh yeah, I recently started to store a buy drywall for my customers and store it because I found a really cheap cost. And so it was easier for me to buy X number of dollars and store it and take it out as I need it than it was to have it, you know, delivered little by little to the site. And so it's like, okay, well, fantastic. You know, do you have, let's look at your property policy. Do you have a million dollars of BPP coverage for that warehouse? Because you've got all this equipment or, or, or materials in there and, you know, 
it was you're saving money on the cost of the material, but you, if there was a fire, you just lost all that money. Um, right. and, and so, you know, just having those conversations creates a, an opportunity to have a stronger business is a, such a big difference. Business owners, regardless of construction or not, are risk takers. That's why they woke up, they woke up in the morning one day and decided to put their livelihood on the line to build this business. But there's a huge difference between taking a risk with your eyes open to being blindsided by a risk. And so one you could prepare for, the other, unfortunately, you know, could put you out of business. So keeping these, these you know, your construction attorney, your surety, um, because that ca- affects cash flow significantly, um, talking to your insurance agent regularly will create opportunities for your business to survive longer and, and, and healthier. Because uh, we also hear things from other customers, you know, sometimes I'll hear something from a one contractor that I share with another to say, hey, look, this person just had this problem. This right. is how they resolved it. And it had nothing right. to do with insurance, but it was just that communication that helped me mitigate a problem for them in the future. Yeah, I get calls from clients sometimes um, and they call me and they say, I'm about to bid a job with so-and-so contractor or owner or developer. Tell me what you know, right? Because they know I have my ear to the ground. So they want to know, you know, is it a contractor that I've sued six times? Maybe they don't want to take the job. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, just open dialogue is tremendously important. Alex, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, and explaining these things. If folks wanted to get some more information about your firm or ask you any questions, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, you can basically put in Google Depazo Insurance and you'll find our, you know, YouTube, Instagram, website, uh, Twitter. We're pretty much pretty, we're pretty, uh, you know, active on all of those channels because education is a big part of what we do. And we want to provide that information up front. So if you just type in, you know, depazoinsurance.com or, you know, Depazo Insurance in any social media platform, you'll, you'll find, you'll find me and, or my dad having a, a, a good time while trying to provide some insurance knowledge. And uh, for those folks that um, want to, I can't uh, recommend enough your Coffee Break series. Uh, tell us about that. How long have you been doing that? Oh, the Coffee Break series, we started in 2017. So like you, um, I get a lot of phone calls uh, from you know my customers asking me questions that I have no business answering about topics that I that, that just it's outside the realm of insurance or, or, or what we do. So, uh, you know, I decided to start to have a sit down coffee with professionals in these fields, CPAs, attorneys, uh, you know, employer organizations, uh, social media folks, uh, safety consultants, uh, and, and asking them these questions that I get or, or questions that I think might be benefit them. And, uh, and then I release them weekly, uh, on LinkedIn and, you know, Instagram and YouTube, uh, so that, you know, and, and, and I have a kind of a backlog so that when I do get those questions, I can have a professional answer that question for you versus just hearing it, you know, what my perspective on it was. That's great. So I encourage everyone to go onto your favorite social media platform, type in Depazo and, and, and follow you. Um, we'll put all of those links in the show notes. Alex, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, Alex. Thank you. No problem. Everybody, uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon on the next podcast. Have a great day.